Welcome to The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I'm so excited about today's episode because I'm basically just going to ramble on about cannabis for the entire episode. Like so many of us, I have loved cannabis for decades. And although I've been pretty vocal in my activism for medical cannabis, I've also had to kind of skirt the line between what's acceptable and what's not. I lived in Humboldt County for 20 years. There's a lot of growing of cannabis, medicinally, recreationally, and otherwise. Um, And so I have kind of a skewed vision of cannabis in general, but definitely also of the legal cannabis industry that is starting to really proliferate across the entire country. And I have to say that I am just thrilled that it's happening And at the same time, I am very aware of the subculture and the counterculture and the outlaw culture that is starting to shift for cannabis as well. And so I definitely honor all of those that have come before, that have gone to jail, that have risked their livelihoods and their families and everything else to make sure there was a viable medical cannabis movement. And, you know, I have been one of those freedom fighters and I, by religious leaders, by politicians, by people who really don't want us thinking for ourselves or, you know, having our not only health, but our mental and spiritual well-being in our own hands. So that's why I'm very happy to be able to very have this very open podcast about cannabis, which even a few years ago would have been laughed at, or I immediately would have been less professional because I was speaking about um, a plant, which we all know is ridiculous. I would like to start this podcast talking about cannabis and Chinese medicine. Because it has really been an important plant, not only in Southeast Asia, but also around the world. And one of the reasons why it's been so important for all of us is because cannabis is one of our very first cultivated crops. And if we think about how drastically our society began to change when we ch- when we switched from a hunting and gathering society to a society of agriculture huge shifts in evolution occurred once we were societies where we didn't move around all the time to follow our food sources but that we actually stayed and cultivated crops so we could develop larger cities that eventually became states, that eventually became nations. But also what it did to switch society and our cultural and religious beliefs when we no longer had to focus on migrating and finding food, but then we could have almost more leisure time as we harvested as we planted crops, tended them, and then waited for the harvest. 
So as I said, cannabis was one of the first cultivated plants in Southeast Asia. It is known to be cultivated for at least 10,000 years, probably more. Cannabis is referenced in the Shinnan Bensao Jing, which is one of our oldest herbal reference books in Chinese medicine, and we believe it to have been compiled around 200 CE or 200 AD, although we know that the information in this book was known to the people of Southeast Asia way before then. In Chinese medicine, they call the Shen Nang the divine farmer. And he was thought to have taught the cultivation of cannabis, agriculture, and animal husbandry. We do know that in Chinese medicine, physicians from the second century mixed cannabis with wine to give to patients that were going into surgery to dull the pain. During the fourth and fifth centuries, Magu, or anti-hemp, or the hemp lady, was personified by the Taoist sect of the highest clarity school of the Maosan Mountain. So in that area, feral hemp grows, and it is said to be the result of pilgrims tossing hemp seeds while asking Magu for health and longevity. In a translation of the text Mingyi Beilu, from the 5th century A.D. It is stated that hemp seeds are very little used in medicine, but the shamans say that if one consumes them with ginseng, it will give them prenatural knowledge of events of the future. So for whatever reason, by the 5th century A.D., at least in this one translation of one text, they say that the cannabis seeds were more used by shamans for foreseeing the future than people actually used for medicine. And I personally don't know how true that is. Um, in terms of our Chinese medicine teachers, they talk about how long Chinese they talk about how long hemp seeds have been used in Chinese medicine. But none of my teachers have talked about the shamanistic use of hemp seeds. In modern Chinese medicine, we use hemp seeds to relax the spleen, moisten dryness of the intestines, promote lactation, and to hasten delivery um, of a baby. We know that the hemp seeds supplement the middle jowl and boost the chi, and that taking over a long period of time can make one fat, strong, and never senile. In the classical text, the Ben Sao Jing, they talk about how Ma Fen, or Ma Bo, which is the actual cannabis plant and not just the seeds have been known to treat the seven damages the seven damages are excessive emotions so not just emotions but excessive emotions like joy anger anxiety pensiveness grief 
fear, and fright. We also read in the Bin Jing that Ma Fen disinhibits the five viscera. And the five viscera are the five yin organs of the lung, the liver, the spleen, the heart, and the pericardium. This ancient text does talk about if one takes too much cannabis, it could make one behold ghosts and frenetically run about. But if someone has a protracted or a smaller dose tonic way of taking cannabis, then cannabis may actually help the person communicate with the spirit light. So what that means is maybe a reverent tonic use of cannabis connects one to their own spirit, communicating with the spirit light, that light that shines within all of us, that sometimes can be dulled if we do take excessive use of too many substances, or if we're not connected to our own spirit. There have been other classical uses of cannabis throughout Asia. Just to talk about a few, the most common being the sadhus that are the worshipers of Shiva, who we know that consume pretty copious amounts of ganja and of hash. So according to the Athara Vaveda, cannabis is the sacred grass, along with four other plants that may free us from distress. In this scripture, the gods sent bong, or cannabis, to earth out of compassion for the human race so they could have delight, lose fear, and excite their sexual desires. The Scythians used cannabis in ritual to cure the sick and also to send the deceased to the next world. One of the Thracian tribes, the Getai, were followers of the Carnobatai, interpreted as those that walk in the smoke clouds. And we know another of these nomadic tribes have used cannabis for ecstatic purposes. In later herbals, like Culpepper's Complete Herbal, he doesn't even bother to give a description of the hemp plant, stating that it is so common a plant and so well known by almost every resident of this kingdom that a description of it would be altogether superfluous. superfluous. And so this is in 1653. Here is a British herbalist who says, hey, hemp is so common, I don't even, I'm not even going to describe it to you. And at least by this point, they were using seeds boiled in milk as a cough remedy. They would make an emulsion of the seed to treat jaundice and to open obstruction of the gall and cause digestion of the collar. They also talked about cannabis seed 
as a way to ease colic and allay the troublesome humors of the bowels. They made a fresh juice mixed with oil and butter as a cure for burns and also a decoction of the root to stop inflammation and to ease pain of gout and joint pain. As you can see throughout history, cannabis has been used in several different locations for both spiritual and medicinal properties. There's a lot of hype about cannabis today because our media just focuses on one thing and then, you know, makes it sound like it is the cure-all for everything. So, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it was echinacea. And it was, it's been ginseng. And it's been astragalus root. And now it is cannabis. And as much as I love cannabis and believe it can help with an array of different ailments, I don't think it is the be-all, cure-all for every condition for everybody. But we are a people who like to hype everything to the extreme and that also like to continue to disseminate Myths and legends over a plant that up until now has not been able to be wildly studied or openly talked about by scholars and by researchers and even by some botanists. So one of the most commonly held myths about cannabis is this terminology of sativa and indica. And the, hom the commonly held belief is that sativas are tall plants with narrow leaves and that the quote-unquote sativa feeling you get is invigorating and uplifting. And then we talk about the indica being a short, stouter plant with broad leaves that when it's smoked is physically sedating. There is nothing in what I just said about sativa or indica that is true. The actual reality of this is that cannabis indica includes the vast majority of biotypes of cannabis that we see and that cannabis sativa includes only European hemp. So what we cultivate and consume in North America today are hybrids of narrow leaf, quote unquote, drug varieties of cannabis and broad leaf, quote unquote, drug varieties of hashish cultivars. So when we think we're smoking a sativa, we're not. We're probably smoking a hybrid of the narrow leaf drug variety of cannabis or a hybrid of the broadleaf drug hashish cultivars that, we ca that came from India and Afghanistan. So these... 
uplifting or sedating effects that we're getting from cam- from cannabis have nothing to do with whether we think they are a quote-unquote sativa or indica. The effects elicited by cannabis are a combination of their cannabinoids, their terpenoids, the environment in which you're smoking or ingesting the cannabis, and also the emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual state of the person that's ingesting the cannabis. So there is no truth in your sativa is causing you to have an uplifting effect and the indica is causing you to have a sedating effect because those terms of sativa and indica are not being used properly by those in the dispensaries or by those writing the articles for their blog or their YouTube channel or whatever it is that they're posting this nonsense about sativa and indica. If you want to learn more about cannabis biotypes and how I even got this information about, you know, the BS cannabis and sativa, I would say read the Robert Clark book called Cannabis, Evolution and Ethnobotany. It's a really great book, and he breaks down the truth behind these cannabis biotypes and the terms cannabis, excuse me, and the terms sativa and indica. So now that I've told you that the effects that are elicited by cannabis are a combination of cannabinoids, terpenoids, and you know the, the state that the person's in as they're smoking or ingesting the cannabis, let's talk a little bit more about what phytocannabinoids are. So most of us have heard of at least some of the phytocannabinoids because we have heard about THC and CBD. Over 100 phytocannabinoids have been identified in cannabis. We just honestly don't know what they do. So the ones that are the most researched are the THC, CBD, CBG, CBC, and CBN. And what's important to know about these cannabinoids is that we have these receptor sites that bind to these cannabinoids. And I'm not going to get into too much information about how these phytocannabinoids bind to our endocannabinoid system, but I do just want to say that in the for THC, so... THC is the psychoactive cannabinoid that is converted from THCA, which is found in the raw plant, and that is not psychoactive, but as soon as we heat it over a specific temperature, then the THCA converts to THC, and then that's when we get that euphoric, but sometimes uncomfortable, high that occurs from ingesting cannabis. And THC binds to what we call the CB1 receptor. And the CB1 receptor is found throughout our central nervous system and our body. 
So this is how THC is not only euphoric, but also therapeutic, because we have these CB1 receptors in our brain in large, large amount, in large, large amounts. The most abundant receptor in the brain is actually the CB1 receptor. We also find the CB1 receptors in our liver, our lungs, our pancreas, our GI tract, our muscles, our reproductive organs, and our our circulatory system. So as you can see, these CB1 receptors or these psychoactive receptors are actually found throughout our entire body. So the main organ that metabolizes THC is the liver, although our lungs and our intestines and other tissues do play a role in its biotransformation. Some of the therapeutic effects of THC are really important. Some of the therapeutic effects of THC are really important for brain health. THC is a neuroprotective antioxidant for brain injuries and strokes. THC is known to be found to reduce the beta amyloid plaques that are found in the brains of those with Alzheimer's disease. THC is also a bronchodilator, a muscle relaxer, a muscle relaxant, And probably what's most important about pain reduction in THC is that it is an anti-inflammatory without COX-1 or COX-2 inhibition. So it will not affect digestion or the heart. We also have a non-psychoactive form of THC that we call THCA that works with very low dosages. And it can be really anti-inflammatory, pain-relieving, and also can be anti-epileptic. So it could be a medicine that's non-psychoactive that can be used in association with CBD for those infantile spasms that we know CBD to be so popular for. So with CBD... It binds to the CB2 receptors, which are the non-psychoactive receptors. We talked about the CB1 receptors and their distribution throughout the body. But our CB2 receptors are also found um, in our bones, our liver, our spleen, and our pancreas. And remember the CBT, excuse me, the CB2 receptors are non-psychoactive receptors. So you can take CBD all day long and you may feel relaxed, but you're not going to feel high as if you were if you took THC. So CBD is really getting a lot of positive media with all of the different research that's been able to come out about CBD. So CBD, as we know, is very anticonvulsant. So it's great for those children who have several seizures a day where the medication is no longer working for them. 
It's an anti-anxiety. It's a pain reliever. Um, in a study from 2008, it was highly effective against MRSA. So it's a strong antibacterial. And we know that MRSA is one of those really hard conditions to treat. But here we have CBD that's very effective against it. Also in a big research study, CBD is highly cytotoxic against breast cancer in particular. So what a great adjunct medicine to use in breast cancer therapies. CBD is also, like THC, very neuroprotective. And it has been found to be more potent as a neuroprotective antioxidant than vitamin C or vitamin E. Although the federal government has been staunchly against admitting that cannabis has medicinal properties, just recently CBD, um, in particular the drug Epidiolex that has CBD in it from cannabinoids, excuse me, that has cannabinoids in it from the cannabis plant, have forced the government to reduce at least Epidiolex from a Schedule One drug. And so in the future, the potential for cannabis in general to be deregulated from a Schedule One drug because of its known medicinal properties. And although I say the federal government has denied this, on some level, they have known it to be true for almost two decades, probably longer. In 2001, the U.S. Health and Human Services registered for a patent on cannabinoids as antioxidants and neuroprotectants. So although the government has denied the use, so although the... Although the U.S. government has denied the efficacy of cannabinoids for neuroprotection, they have indeed filed for a patent on it since 2001. Um, so if that doesn't kind of make you angry or disillusioned with thinking our government actually cares about us, maybe, you know, that little bit of knowledge just, you know, brings that home a little bit more, unfortunately. CBD is also an autoimmune protectant. And it is great to use for immune disorders, autoimmune disorders like rheumatoid arthritis. To date, there really is no standard dosage for CBD and THC for specific ailments. Although in the future, when more and more research comes out and fortunately or unfortunately, more pharmaceutical companies get patents on specific dosages of CBD or THC, we really recommend that someone start at 0.1 milligrams per kilogram a day and then gradually increase that dosage by small increments. Some clinicians have been noticing that there is a threshold for CBD to work for certain conditions like pain or seizures. So someone who maybe started out with 25 milligrams of CBD a day for pain notice that they have to add more and more CBD unless they then put in a small amount of THC and then something about the synergy between the CBD and the THC, they can start actually lowering 
their CBD dosage and keep the THC dosage the same. But everyone's unique and everyone's going to react differently. So it's always great to work with a knowledgeable herbalist or practitioner when you do want to work therapeutically with cannabis. I only want to talk about one more cannabinoid, and that is CBG. And I mentioned CBG because CBG comes from CBGA, and that is the essential building block for all other cannabinoids. And CBG was also the first cannabinoid identified because it is the building block of all other cannabinoids. And CBG, like CBD, has been found to be effective against MRSA. CBG is also great for glaucoma because it can decrease intraocular pressure. CBD has also shown in studies to reduce bladder contractions. In the future, I think we're going to hear more about CBG and some of the lesser studied cannabinoids, especially as the hype around THC and CBD dies down. You know, we, we were, like I said before, we're a hype-based culture. As we tire from the excitement of CBD, we're going to need something else to look forward to. So I think we're going to hear more about CBG, CBN, CBC, and, you know, the hundred plus other cannabinoids that we haven't even named, much less found out their therapeutic action. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I always appreciate any comments or suggestions that you may have. Feel free to drop me a line in the comment section below or feel free to like or follow me. My Facebook page is Jessica Baker LAC and my Instagram account is Baker underscore Botanica. My website is www.bakerbotanica.com. Come on over to the website and, you know, check out the essential oils I have for sale. Check out my book, Plant Songs, Reflections on Herbal Medicine. And as always, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being a lover of plant medicine. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.